2010, we met right here and opened God's Word together to Nehemiah chapter 1. And I think I would be a little off if I did not read some of that for us. Nehemiah chapter 1, starting in verse 1. The words of Nehemiah, the son of Hakali. Now it happened in the month of Chislev in the 20th year, as I was in Susa, the citadel, that Hanani, one of my brothers, came with certain men from Judah. And I asked them concerning the Jews who escaped who had survived the exile and concerning Jerusalem. And they said to me, The remnant there in the province who had survived the exile is in great trouble and shame. The wall of Jerusalem is broken down, and its gates are destroyed by fire. As soon as I heard these words, I sat down and wept and mourned for days. And I continued fasting and praying before the God of heaven, And I said, O Lord, God of heaven, the great and awesome God, who keeps covenant and steadfast love with those who love him and keep his commandments, let your ear be attentive and your eyes open to hear the prayer of your servant that I now pray before you day and night for the people of Israel, your servants, confessing the sins of the people of Israel, which have sinned against you. Even I and my father's house have sinned. We have acted very corruptly against you and have not kept the commandments, the statutes, and the rules that you commanded your servant Moses. Remember the word that you commanded your servant Moses, saying, If you are unfaithful, I will scatter you among the peoples. But if you return to me and keep my commandments and do them, though your outcasts are in the uttermost parts of heaven, from there I will gather them and bring them to the place that I have chosen. To make my name dwell there. They are your servants and your people, whom you have redeemed by your great power and by your strong hand. O Lord, let your ear be attentive to the prayer of your servant and to the prayer of your servants who delight to fear your name. And give success to your servant today and grant him mercy in the sight of this man. Now I was cupbearer to the king. And in the month of Nisan, in the twentieth year of King Artaxerxes, when wine was before him, I took up the wine and gave it to the king. Now I had not been sad in his presence. And the king said to me, Why is your face sad, seeing you are not sick? This is nothing but sadness of the heart. Then I was very much afraid. I said to the king, Let the king live forever. Why should not my face be sad? When the city, the place of my father's graves, lies in ruins and its gates have been destroyed by fire. Then the king said to me, what are you requesting? So I prayed to the God of heaven and I said to the king, if it pleases the king and if your servant has found favor in your sight. That you send me to Judah, to the city of my father's graves, that I may rebuild it. And the king said to me, the queen sitting beside him. How long will you be gone, and when will you return? So it pleased the king to send me when I had given him a time. 
And I said to the king, if it pleases the king, let letters be given to me to the governors of the province beyond the river, that they may let me pass through until I come to Judah. And a letter to Asaph, the keeper of the king's forest, that he may give me timber to make beams for the gates of the fortress of the temple and for the wall of the city and for the house that I shall occupy. And the king granted me what I asked, for the good hand of my God was upon me. And then I came to the governors of the province beyond the river and gave them the king's letters. Now the king had sent with me officers of the army and horsemen. But when Sanballat and the Horonite and Tobiah the Ammonite servant heard this, it displeased them greatly and someone had to come seek the welfare of the people of Israel. So I went to Jerusalem and was there three days. And then I arose in the night, and I and a few men with me, and I told no one what my God had put into my heart to do for Jerusalem. There was no animal with me but the one on which I rode. I went out by night by the valley gate to the dragon spring and to the dung gate, and I inspected the walls of Jerusalem that were broken down, and its gates that had been destroyed by fire. Then I went on to the fountain gate and to the king's pool. But there was no room for the animal that was, un, that was under me to pass. Then I went up in the night by the valley and inspected the wall. And I turned back and entered by the valley gate and so returned. And the officials did not know where I had gone or what I was doing. And I had not yet told the Jews, the priests, the nobles, the officials, and the rest who were to do the work. Then I said to them, you see the trouble we are in. How Jerusalem lies in ruins with its gates burned. Come, let us build the wall of Jerusalem, that we may no longer suffer derision. And I told them of the hand of my God that had been upon me for good, and also of the words that the king had spoken to me. And they said, let us rise up and build. So they strengthened their hands for the good work. When Sanballat the Horonite and Tobiah the Ammonite servant and Geshem the Arab heard of it. They jeered at us and despised us and said, What is this thing you are doing? Are you rebelling against the king? And then I replied to them, The God of heaven will make us prosper. And we, his servants, will rise and build. But you have no portion or right to claim in Jerusalem. Nehemiah was absolutely broken because of the situation that the people of Jerusalem were in. They had come under attack and their walls, their foundation, their protection had been destroyed. And God placed on Nehemiah a burden to go and seek change. Now, he could have sought change in many ways. He could have done many different things. But God led him to reestablish security. A foundation for them to be able to exist by rebuilding the wall. Likewise, our hope from the very beginning was, and it still is, to build a lasting foundation on the Word of God. 
So God led us to plant New City with much of that heart. To arise and build, to fix what was broken. To be a gospel-centered church that was and is deeply rooted in the Bible. With deep convictions in the Word of God. And that's what we did. We believe that God, and we still believe that God has set us apart to see lasting change in Alma, Bacon County, and beyond. And by God's grace, here we are, eight years later. Now, I want you to think about that for just a minute. Some of you have been around for the entirety of eight years. Some of you are fairly new to our new city family. It took Nehemiah and the people a very short time to do what should have taken quite a long time. To rebuild the walls of Jerusalem and to refortify the gates. And at one point, as they were being threatened, attack, it says that they went about their business with a sword in one hand and a trowel in the other. They were ready for war, and they were building at the same time. God has allowed us to be here for eight years. To hold fast for eight years. And the mission that God has called us to is is very unique. And we understand that it is a mission that may not see fruit extremely soon. Because it's a mission that is meant to build a lasting foundation. A foundation built solely on the Word of God. And for a while now, as I have been praying for this day, one text remained constant in my mind, just over and over and over again. And it's Philippians chapter 1. The interesting thing about the book of Philippians is Paul is writing this letter to the Philippian church, which happened to be the first church he actually planted. But he's writing this letter from prison. He was imprisoned for simply doing what we're doing right now, just preaching the gospel. But the Philippian church was a very special church to him. Again, it was the first church he was led by God to plant. Remember, he started with three people that are mentioned in Scripture. Lydia, who was extremely wealthy 
um, in trade and in uh, seller of purple goods. Um, uh, a demon-possessed slave girl that God allowed them to see come to salvation. And the Philippian jailer. And God began to build a very strong church. But his primary purpose in writing this is simply to encourage them. To encourage them to continue to press on by his grace and for his glory and him being God. For the work that they had been doing and should continue to do. And here's the main idea. That those whom God calls will live for his glory. By remaining steadfast in his word. And he, that is God, will be faithful to bring completion. Now if you will, I want you to stand with me. And I want to read our text. We are going to be in Philippians 1 verses 3 through 11. But I actually want to read starting in verse 1. Just so y'all know, we're not getting out of here fast. Paul and Timothy, servants of Christ Jesus, to all the saints in Christ Jesus who are at Philippi, with the overseers and deacons, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. I thank my God in all my remembrance of you, always in every prayer of mine, for you all making my prayer with joy because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. And I am sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. It is right for me to feel this way about you all because I hold you in my heart. For you are all partakers with me of grace, both in my imprisonment and in the defense and confirmation of the gospel. For God is my witness, how I yearn for you all with affection of Jesus Christ. And it is my prayer that your love may abound more and more with knowledge and all discernment. So that you may approve what is excellent and so be pure and blameless for the day of Christ. Filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ. To the glory and praise of God. Let's pray. Father. Good and gracious Who am I that you should be mindful of me? Father, you have
done more, immeasurably more than all we could think or ask. You called us in to salvation. That is, those of us here who have confessed Jesus is the Christ. You have set us apart to be your church. To be able to declare your glory among the nations. And you have allowed us to faithfully proclaim your word for eight years now. And we could only hope and dream that unless you return, that a hundred, two hundred years from now, and longer if that's your plan. Our children's children's children will be continuing to faithfully preach your word here. Father, that's why we do what we do to give you glory in our faithfulness. May we ever be disciples who make disciples who make disciples. Never shine away from the truth of your word. Always standing gospel of Jesus. Would the Bible always be the filter of our lives? It's so easy, Father, to get caught up in all of the many things around us and the many thought processes and the many arguments and debates, but may we By your gracious hand, be people of the word. May it dictate what we do in our lives. May it determine the thoughts we think, the actions we take. May we simply live by your grace and for your glory. You are faithful. And because you are faithful, may we live as a reflection of your goodness. You have given us the greatest treasure anyone could ever find. May we share it with the world. 
may we rise and build. So we give thanks. We give thanks for your word. That it never returns void. And we glory in the author of it. God Almighty. It's in the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Spirit that we pray. Amen. You can be seated. As we look at Philippians chapter 1, the very first point that we see is that Paul gives thanks for them. He says, I thank my God in all my remembrance of you. Paul is simply overflowing with thanksgiving as he remembers them in his prayer, as he is remembering their work, as he is remembering their faithfulness, as he is remembering their dedication to the gospel of Christ. He gives thanks. Now remember, he is in prison, so he has plenty of time to recount their faithfulness. He is thankful for their partnership in the gospel that they remain steadfast for Christ and His Word. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. I thank my God in all my remembrance of you, always in every prayer of mine for you, all making my prayer with joy. Why? Because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. They never stopped. They never gave up standing on the word of God. They constantly were living for the glory of the Lord. Now, were they a perfect church? Probably not. No church is. But they remained faithful to the word. They pursued Christ and His glory. And as partners of the gospel, they had not left Paul and the elders and deacons, the overseers and deacons, to simply do all the ministry on their own. But they worked together using their God-given gifts to serve Christ and His church. So the reality is, is that God not only calls every believer, it has calls them to salvation, but He also equips them to serve the church and to proclaim the gospel to the ends of the earth. Jesus' last command was, go therefore and make disciples. Not converts, but disciples. Disciples who make disciples, who make disciples. Building the kingdom of God, not going and building just this massive thing, but constantly pressing in, constantly standing and holding fast to the word of God. And Paul is writing them to let them know that their faithfulness towards Christ and his word has not gone unnoticed. He constantly refers to this yearning that he has to be with them, to be filled with the affection of knowing. Paul's heart is overjoyed by their love for Jesus and his church. It's a love that is genuine. They're not simply trying to check boxes, 
right? They, they absolutely love Christ. They know whom He is. They know the work that He has done in their lives, and they serve Him greatly. And this genuineness is evidence in their life. It's evidence in the actions that they take. That the work they do absolutely reflects Jesus. That the word they preach is preached about Christ and His goodness. Now you knew it would not be a complete new city birthday, anniversary, whatever you want to call it. I told told somebody, I told Sophie last night that we'll probably start calling it homecoming at year 10. So just mark that down. We'll call it homecoming at year 10. We're still too young. Call it homecoming. We'll get there. But it would not be a complete New City celebration without a Charles Spurgeon quote, right? Spurgeon in his commentary on the Philippians says this. He says, the apostle longed to spread the gospel. So they did. Or so did they. He was earnest to carry it to the regions beyond. So were they. If he preached, they would be there to encourage him. If he held special meetings, they were ready to help. If money was required, every man was ready according to his means without pressing. Each one, pay attention to this, each one felt as earnest about the work as did his minister. They were enthusiastic for the furtherance of the gospel. They were heartily with him where he most valued their sympathy. Paul was thankful for them. He was thankful for their partnership in the gospel, but not only for their partnership, but he was also thankful for their defense of the gospel. They held tightly to the truth. So, As false teachers would rise, they would simply combat them with the word of God. When people tried to cause disturbance, they just fought it with the word of God. The word was simply for them a firm foundation. And so to echo Paul, I want to say thank you. Thank you for your faithfulness in the gospel. I know that sometimes I don't express that very well. But I'm sure that Byron and Jordan both would join me in saying thank you. Thank you for loving Christ. Thank you for serving His church. Thank you for allowing us to faithfully sing and preach and proclaim the Bible. Yesterday, I think it was yesterday, it might have been the day before, who knows. I shared a video on Facebook. It was just a little clip of Robbie Gallaty. He's a, um, a pastor in Alabama. And in the video, he made this quote. He said, for most preachers, the Bible is simply a footnote to the sermon. And all I could do was rejoice because God has allowed us to make the Bible what it is. 
to be able to stand firm on the word of God. To be able to do exactly what God has called us to do. And of course, we could do some other things and whatever to draw in a greater crowd. But God has called us to a specific mission. And I'm thankful for that. And I'm thankful more so that you have surrendered to that same mission. To let the word be all. When I was going to Bruton Parker, I was a youth pastor at a church, kind of part-time, and we took our kids to a, a youth event. And during the event, David Platt was preaching. If you're not familiar with David Platt, he's good to be familiar with. Um, but he was preaching a sermon on the importance of knowing the Word of God. And at the end of the sermon, he, and he was in the book of Isaiah, and at the end of the sermon, he said, now, I have one more thing I want us to look at. And he said, turn with me to Romans chapter 1. And he proceeded to start reading Romans 1. And then he just kept going. And occasionally he would point out specific instances that we should bring our attention to. And he went from Romans 1 to Romans 2 to Romans 3. And about Romans 3-ish, 4, I, I pick my head up from my Bible and he's holding his like this. He's just quoting the book of Romans. He goes all the way through Romans chapter 8, just preaching Romans 8. Romans 1 through 8, right? Just letting the word speak for itself. And one of our leaders had uh, an important call from work, and he had to actually step out kind of during that. And, and he come in, and he said, what in the world was going on? And, and I told him, he was like, really? He said, there was a large group who was walking out, and their youth pastor simply said, that's not preaching the word of God. We're not going to have anything to do with this. And I was just baffled by that because how better of a way to proclaim the word of God than simply read the word of God? You know, that, that's really the sad reality of where we are as a culture. The word is not enough. And so as Paul says, I thank my God. I echo that. And I'm thankful for the work that God is doing here. And, and some of you know this, and if you don't, I'm going to tell you. God's doing something special here. And I know sometimes it's difficult, right? Because we get called in the worldly mindset of church growth and church structures to not realize that God's doing something big because our numbers are not big. But God is doing something extremely special here. And as I said earlier, we might not see the effect of it in the near future. But our goal is not to build a megachurch. Our goal is to see people come to Christ and become fully devoted followers of Jesus. And to build a lasting foundation to where the word of God is never wavered upon. And so I do say thank you. 
Now, Paul doesn't simply just thank the Philippians for their work, but he also prays for them. Verse 7, it is right for me to feel this way about you all because I hold you in my heart for you are all partakers with me of grace, both in my imprisonment and in the defense and the confirmation of the gospel. As he is remembering them, he is also praying for them. And his prayers are filled with joy because of the fruit of righteousness that he's hearing about and he's seeing in their lives. And and these aren't just simply like empty words. He's praying in thanksgiving and thankfulness and gratitude for the grace of God displayed in the church at Philippi. And think about that, right? So he's in prison, okay? And he's overjoyed. Now, don't think prison like we know prison. Think more like dungeon. You don't want to be here. They're not getting all the amenities that even a lot of people in our country can't even get. They're not getting TV and and fed Food and a library full of books. They are literally shackled to a floor. And he's overjoyed. Why? Because ultimately his joy is in Jesus and not in the comfort that the worldly things have to offer. He's overjoyed by the work of God in their lives. But he's overjoyed because of just the sheer goodness of God. Elizabeth Elliot, whose husband and four other families moved to Ecuador many years ago to reach an unreached headhunting tribe there, who witnessed her husband and the other four men murdered by the very people they were sent to reach who stayed to faithfully proclaim the gospel, said this. The secret is Christ in me. Not me in a different set of circumstances. Now think about that, right? Because how many times do we in our lives think, if we could just get to that point, or if we could just receive this thing, or if we could just go here or do this, then fulfillment will come. But that's not the point. The point is Christ in us. And so as he remembers them and as he's rejoicing in them, he's more so rejoicing in the work of God. He's seeing Christ faithfully working in his church. It's worth being in prison because of the work that he is seeing put on display. And so he says, for God is my witness, how I yearn for you all with the affection of Christ Jesus. He's a pastor who loves his people. Now, isn't that interesting, right? Because we've been in 1 John and we see John writing with much of the same affection. Beloved.
Paul has faithfully shepherd, shepherded these people. And Timothy and the other overseers and deacons carried on that work as Paul went on to plant other churches and do other work. And he yearns for them with the affection of Christ Jesus. So he prays. He prays that they will continue. He, he prays that they will continue to be faithful. He prays that they will continue to reflect the love of Christ Jesus. And not only that, he prays that their love may abound. Look at verse 9. And it is my prayer that your love may abound more and more. That is, he wants their lives to simply reflect and to continue to reflect the love of God. For the last several weeks, we've been in the book of 1 John seeing this theme of the love of God over and over and over. In fact, last week, we spent the entire day talking about the love of God, that God in Christ Jesus has loved us in a way that we could not even imagine. And he prays, Paul prays that their love would continue to abound more and more, that they would continue to remember the love of God in Christ towards them, that they would continue to remember that God had given him his spirit to live within them and that they would continue to reflect the love of God constantly. And he also prays for their discernment. The latter half of verse 9, with knowledge and all discernment. That they would continue to let the word be the filter for their theology, for their lives, for their mission. That they would continue to hold fast to the word of God. Why? Verse 10, so that you may approve what is excellent and so be pure and blameless for the day of Christ. You know, we've spent a lot of time throughout the years referencing how marriage is a reflection of God's love for his people. And we always turn to Ephesians 5. And if you will, just reimagine with me the beauty that God has displayed. He has simply orchestrated all things for the good of his people and for the glory of his name. And he is working in us and through us for his good pleasure in order to set us apart as a bride adorned for her bridegroom. So that at the last day, we may be perfected in Christ. And so I echo on that day when freed from sinning, I shall see his lovely face clothed then in blood-washed linen, how I'll sing thy sovereign grace. Paul is thankful for the church of Philippi and he is praying for the church of Philippi. He was praying for them, verse 11, to be filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God. That's his heart. 
that they would seek the glory of God above all things. And in seeking the glory of God above all things, they will do so by expressing the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus. Are we bearing fruit? The question, I mean, the the answer to that question is yes. It's not a yes or no question, are we bearing fruit? It's more of what kind, right? Because whether or not we want to admit it, we are reflecting Jesus. We're either reflecting him the way that the scriptures portray him, or we're reflecting him the way they do not. And Paul is rejoicing at the Philippian church because they are actually reflecting Christ arrayed in his glory. And so our prayer, that is, this church's prayer is very similar. That you remain centered on the gospel of Jesus. That you would continue to live in community. That you would always live on mission. That Christ would ever be before you. That he would be ever leading you. And that you could rejoice in knowing this, that God is faithful. Paul says in verse 6, And I am sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. Some versions say that he will be faithful to bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. Paul is confident. I am sure. He is confident in the Lord's faithfulness to his people. He's not necessarily confident in the people's faithfulness to God. He is confident in God's faithfulness to his people. We will fail. We will slip up. At times we will make terrible decisions. At, in moments of our existence, we will fall. The Lord will not. So, Christian, you can rest completely in the work of God. Your confidence, the Christian's confidence, must always come from and be rooted in Jesus. Not in what you can do or how you can serve or what you can give or any other thing. It simply must be rooted in Jesus. And he says, it is he who will bring it to completion. Who? Yahweh, God the Father. The sovereign Lord. The one who is perfect in his power, who is mighty and righteous in all of his ways, who is perfect in his plans. It is this God who will bring about completion of his sovereign purposes. I always heard one monkey don't stop, no show. When we mess up, it's not going to derail God's plans. When you mess up as an individual, it's not going to affect God's love for you. God loves us with a perfect love in Christ Jesus. He will see his plans through. And Paul has confidence in that. 
I want to give you two ways that Paul is confident in that truth. The first is in the finished work of Jesus. What does that even mean? That Romans 3.23 says that all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. In Romans 6.23 it says because of that sin, the wages of that sin is death, but the free gift of God through Jesus Christ our Lord. It's redemption and salvation through Him. It's redemption accomplished and applied. Christ bought us with a price. He has paid our sin debt in a way that we can never do. And so we as Christians rest in the finished work of Jesus. That's why we're not trying to work to attain salvation. We are simply working because of God's good gift of salvation. And secondly, Paul is sure that Christ will see them through because of the evidence of Christ in their life. Again, they're not bearing fruit to merit the love of God. They are bearing fruit because they have already received the love of God. What fruit are we bearing? Likewise for you, New City. If all we are say and do, is rooted in Jesus and is done for His glory and praise, we too can be confident that He will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. In other words, because of God's grace, if we remain in Him, then the church will remain true and His people will receive glorification. We'll never be perfect this out of heaven. But the saints persevere. We run the race with endurance that is set before us. Longing for the day that we will stand before King Jesus. And here, well done, my good and faithful servant. The word of God must be the foundation for our lives. And our mission. Paul is so thankful for the work of God in this church. But even more, he's thankful for the work of God in salvation. He's thankful for the promises of God that he will be faithful to bring it to completion. He's rejoicing in the goodness of the Lord. Because all of their work, all of their laboring, all of their service, as the end of verse 11 says, will be to the glory and praise of God. So as Paul was to the Philippians, so I am to you, thankful and overjoyed by the fruits of righteousness for your steadfastness in the gospel, for your partnership in the gospel. And like Paul, I want you to know that I pray constantly for you. And I want to encourage you, just like he is encouraging them, to one, rest confidently and completely in the finished work of Jesus. 
to be able to rest in the grace of our King. To not live ever wondering, was it good enough? If we have trusted in Christ, it's good enough. The sacrifice of Jesus was good enough. Our work is not. That's why we rest in Him. And secondly, I want to encourage you to live boldly for the glory and praise of King Jesus. I want to read a short thing to you. It's not going to be on the screen because even though I say it's short, it's too long to be up there. I come across this um, this week and was actually kind of moved to tears by it. Just thinking about the faithfulness of God. In June of 1891, June 7th, I believe. Charles Spurgeon, and if you're wondering why I quote Spurgeon all the time, Spurgeon's probably my hero of the faith. Um, A lot of the things he struggled with, I struggle with, but Charles Spurgeon was the prince of preachers. He was the first megachurch pastor in history. He preached to over 6,000 people every service without a microphone, He started over 22 ministries, including an orphanage and including a pastor's college. He preached anywhere from five to ten times a week. He was a lion for the faith. And I encourage you to study some of how God was so gracious in his life if you've never But what I came across was the last sermon that Spurgeon preached before he died. He was very sick. He was battling great depression. Um, His body was shutting down. And on June 7th, he preached. And I want to read you the very last paragraph from his sermon. The last sermon he ever preached. He says, what I have to say lastly is this. How greatly I desire that you who are not yet enlisted in my Lord's band, army, would come to him because you see what a kind and gracious Lord he is. Young men, if you could see our captain, you would down on your knees and beg him to let you enter the ranks of those who follow him. It is heaven to serve Jesus. I am a recruiting sergeant. And I would fain find a few recruits at this moment. Every man must serve somebody. We have no choices as to that fact. Those who have no master are slaves to themselves. Depend upon it. You will either serve Satan or Christ. Either self or the Savior. You will find sin, self, Satan, and the world to be hard masters. But if you wear the livery of Christ, you will find him so meek and lowly of heart that you will find rest unto your souls. He is the most magnanimous of captains. 
There never was his like among the choices of princes. He is always to be found in the thickest part of battle. When the wind blows cold, he always takes the bleak side of the hill. The heaviest end of the crossed cross lies ever on his shoulders. If he bids us carry a burden, he carries it also. If there is anything that is gracious, generous, kind, and tender, yea, lavish and super abundant in love, you always find it in him. These 40 years and more have I served him. Blessed be his name. And I have had nothing but love from him. I would be glad to continue yet another 40 years in the same dear service here below if it so pleased him. His service is life, peace, joy. Oh, that you would enter on it at once. God help you to enlist under the banner of Jesus even this day. in closing I want to thank you for loving me and I want to thank you for loving my family but more so I want to thank you for loving and serving Christ let's pray Father what goodness and graciousness is it to be found in your family as one of yours to be enlisted in your army I pray that you just speak deeply and earnestly to us today for those of us who have never trusted and surrendered to Jesus for salvation God I pray that today is the day for those of us who are Christians, but we're just simply struggling through the trials and details of life, may we be encouraged that you will be faithful to bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. And we ask all of this to the praise and glory of our King. Amen.